Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we're talking about one of the ways in which the government and industry interact in support of an upcoming acquisition, a request for information. But what happens to industry's responses after they've been submitted? This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If your organization is interested in training from a team of former contracting officers, go to askskyway.com and learn more about how Skyway helps both government and industry teams with the acquisition and contract execution process. Okay, let's get started with what happens to my RFI response. Set the stage. I'm over here on the industry side. And I find online a government request for information, an RFI, and it says the due date is yesterday. Should I even bother submitting? You can if you're targeted, yes, because when I was a contracting officer, I would get these emails from people or calls say, hey, the due date was a couple days ago. Can you still accept it? And I can. I mean, it's not bound by the same rules. It's not bound like an RFP. There isn't a true deadline for an RFI because it's about getting market research. It's about getting feedback from industry. And that kind of got me thinking about for every person who asked me that question to say, hey, I'm late. Can I submit this? There are probably five or, or 10 or 100 who had the same problem and didn't think to ask and just didn't respond because they thought, oh, I missed the deadline. And so I thought maybe people don't know that the RFI, it's a market research tool. Yeah, we talked about what's the difference between a request for information and a draft request for a proposal and a request for a proposal in an episode that, that explained the differences there. And you're right, Kevin, RFIs – don't have the same strict rules as an RFP, but sometimes they're treated like that. Sometimes it's treated like it's due at five o'clock on Tuesday, and if you don't get it in, we're going to shred it. Well, you don't shred. <laughs> you don't shred an email. You used to shred paper. That was more fun. But we're not even going to open your email. <laughs> still, I'm still laughing. At the, that was more fun to shred paper. <laughs> and getting the RFI response to the government—that's just step one. I mean, you know, what happens after they get it is is the, the topic of today. And kind of the, the expectation, I think, or the perception is that it ends up at the end of the Indiana Jones movie, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant is getting pushed into this box and then they zoom out the camera and it's just in a sea of boxes. In other words, they just kind of file it away and forget about it. And I think that I kind of got that feedback from people saying, what are you doing with this RFI response if I take the time to write it? And so on one hand, yes, it's getting filed away, but on other times it's, it's being used. So yeah. let's, let's talk through that today. Yeah, I think there's a little of both there. Before we get into it, let's stop and say thanks. I want to say thanks to Dale Hollis. He's a business development guy at Geneva Software. He's in the D.C. area. He listens to podcasts for a while, and he gave me some like really targeted and phenomenal feedback on everything from how he likes the length of the podcast to the fact that we reference earlier episodes. How he uses the content is huge. And getting honest, first-person, like on-the-phone feedback from our listeners is what makes us better every week. Thanks, Dale. Before we talk about what happens to your RFI, let's quickly review what is a request for information. An RFI is a market research tool for, for primary market research versus secondary market research, which we covered in earlier episodes. I think episode 8 and 179 talked about market research. The government is required by the FAR to conduct market research to determine if commercial items or non-developmental items are available to meet the government's needs 
or could be modified to meet the government's needs, or does the government need to develop this on their own? If we look at FAR 10.002. That's what the FAR talks about. Step one is get a requirement, hence the requirement zone. And then step two is the market research, which hence the market research zone, which we talk about in episode 13. FAR 10.002B2, three little eyes. Three little eyes. It gives me the visual of Toy Story, the movie, with the, the little, little uh, characters that have three eyes, little aliens. Anyway, so <laughs> three little eyes. The FAR describes various techniques to, to do your market research if you're on the government side. 10.002B2III, not three little eyes, is where RFIs show up. And it, it says, publishing formal requests for information, RFI, in appropriate technical or scientific journals or business publications. And that's interesting because most every RFI I see is on Federal business opportunities on Fed biz ops, right? You're right. And it specifically says when you're doing your market research, it doesn't say post it on FBO. It says, you know, for example, that doesn't say you have to do it this way. This is an example. And it, it's, it's telling that it's not specifically requiring it to be on FBO because market research can be done in lots of different ways. Truly cutting edge things that the government might need are probably not made by companies that are trolling FBO all the time opportunities, but they might read scientific journals or trade journals. Now we've covered or re-covered what is an RFI. Before we get to what happens to the RFI response, two more things. First, should you respond to an RFI? If, if it's your target market, if, this is, if you have targeted and qualified this, then, then yes, you should respond. If it's not, then no, you probably shouldn't take your time, spend your time and money responding. If you don't know what your target agency is, then go listen to episodes 16, 68, and 102 because we pound the desk in those episodes talking about how to do targeting. Over and over and over. And second, if you respond to an RFI, you must provide the government with some value. We talked about this before. First, tell them what you do, what you specifically do to help solve their problem. Then talk about whether or not you have a HUBZone certification or you're a small disabled veteran-owned business. Or give them some past performance information. Just say, this is where we've delivered this and this and this to other customers. But that shouldn't be the leadoff. The leadoff is, here's how I can solve your problem. And, and this is a writing skill because we want very little, blah, we call it blah, blah. Like that marketing stuff that doesn't actually mean anything. Like, you know, we've innovated. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. Like make sure that you're answering the RFI instead of just sending your marketing material. And I know people think they're answering the RFI, but I've gotten hundreds of these, and I'll bet 75% of them was just marketing blah, blah, that you copied and pasted from your marketing material that says, hey, we do this. Or catalogs and brochures, just, hey, here's our stuff, and then you expect the government to figure out that's the stuff that might get put into that giant vault, the, the Indiana Jones vault, right? And, and I got one that said, here's a link to our website. I'm not going to click on the link. Yeah. I'm not going to go research myself. I'm asking you to tell it's, me. Yeah. It's not that I'm lazy. You're just going to have to try a little bit harder. I got a <laughs> lot of information from a lot of vendors that actually took the time to tell me how they can solve my problem, not create more work for me by sending me a link. Okay, finally, on to what happens to your RFI response. The purpose of this thing of this RFI response is to be part of the acquisition plan. The government is building an acquisition plan. 
So the level of impact that it has on that overall plan and what shows up in the RFP and the request for proposal that follows this, it depends on a lot of variables. Like, is this a brand new requirement or a contract? If it is, then the government's just looking for a baseline of the industry's capability. We have a requirement. We have a need. Can industry even do this? Can one company do it? Can 100 companies do it? Can U.S. companies do it? Or will we only find foreign manufacturers or offers for this? If it's not a brand new requirement, is there an incumbent? One of our customers was the incumbent, and the RFIs that were coming out made it very obvious that the government was trying to do something different. Oh, that's, that's not good. <laughs> and so they were trying to do something different with the acquisition strategy. The customer was very happy. The, the, the user was very happy. But the problem was that we were starting to see the, these things were changing as far as how they wanted to structure the contract and, and, and the pricing models were, were coming out differently. Being aware of that as the incumbent, you've got to pay attention yeah. because those are indicators that they may be happy with the service but not happy with the contract type. They may be happy with the contract type but not happy with the service or they may not like both, which is a different problem. When you read an RFI, you can get a feel for whether the government – thinks that the incumbent has been doing a great job and wants to keep them, in which case your response, your RFI response, might just be file fodder. It might be the the file and forget uh, into the Indiana Jones vault. You can also tell if they hate the incumbent and the, all the RFI language just shouts, we want something different. Other RFIs don't give you a lot of clues one way or another, and that's why communication with the government is important. And that's why it feels like it's a black box that you're, you're sending your RFI response into, because if it doesn't give you any clues based on what they're asking, they're just saying, hey, industry, can you do this? It's like, well, it's, it's a contract that's existed for 20 years, so we know industry can do it. What, what does the government want me to say in my RFI? If it's not clear, that's how we end up with marketing blah, blah, is if industry doesn't know what you're asking for from the government side. And I've done that. I, I was nebulous. And as a result, I got nebulous content back. Yep. And so make it make it very easy for them to understand, say, we're, we're looking for change or, or we're looking for a new way to do this or, or say something that leads to we're happy with the incumbent, but we have to recompete this. So who else can do it? Those are three different tones. But if there's no tone in there, right, you're just going to get marketing material. Another variable that plays into the level of impact that RFI responses can have on the acquisition and the, the final RFP is when we're dealing with technology intensive requirements. The government's trying to find out that is the way that the world does this thing now different than it was when we bought it before? The government often buys in in five-year cycles because five years is the, the longest contract they can reasonably award. If you were buying a product or services that, that is very technology intensive, a lot can change in five years. Think about now, everything is cloud-based. We want to go to the cloud. We want to use the cloud. Five years ago, if you were buying anything in the information technology world, you were probably not thinking cloud. So the government isn't going to recompete the same thing that they did five years ago. They're going to reach out and say, hey, we have a requirement now. How does industry do this on their own? We want some of that. The requirement really hasn't changed. You're, You're processing data. You're storing data. But how you do that has gone from from hardware to cloud-based services. The government would find this out through RFIs. And they might even ask, how will it be done two years from now? Especially if it's a five-year contract. They should be thinking about that. 
this is similar to the one I mentioned a minute ago with our customer where the, the contract structure has changed. But there are extreme examples of this where the agency said, okay, we had one contract for this before. Now we're going to break it into three smaller contracts that are all going to be multiple award that we're going to award all at once. That's a different structure. That's a different acquisition strategy that, again, the requirement hasn't changed. Provide professional services. But how they're managing it from a contractual perspective is going to impact how industry is going to propose, how they're going to compete for the work afterwards, how they're going to staff it. Or with hindsight, because I know which one you're talking about, it's going to impact whether industry even wants to compete to deliver that way. Because from the industry side, I got to say that particular acquisition. It will remain nameless. It's very, very difficult to deal with. And many of the industry partners that I've talked to would have happily steered away from it if they had known how, how difficult it was going to be to actually win and execute work. And the RFI question there, woulda, shoulda, coulda, I guess, be can industry deliver in the way we're setting up this contract? That's an RFI question to ask that, you know, looking back, hindsight's always twenty twenty. There, therein lies the question. When you fundamentally change how you're going to structure the contract for a service you've been getting for a long time, yep. expect that industry may not be okay with that. <laughs> I guess that's the way to say yeah. it. A lot of times industry won't like change, but industry might have asked the government questions with, how do you intend to actually compete and award and manage so many proposals and contracts that you're going to get with this new strategy? Have you thought through that part? Sorry, I'm getting critical there. Let's move on. There's one more variable we should talk about that can have the ultimate impact on the RFP, and that is can more than one offerer do this? An RFI can become the foundation of a sole source award. Now, we did a podcast about that. It was episode 17. And that's a specific exemption to competition that is, that, that's basically saying only one source can do this. So that's a sole source award to one company because they're the only one that does it. And one of the ways to figure out if there's only one company that can do it is you ask. And one of the ways you ask is an RFI. And if we get one RFI response, that's our data set. It's one. Right. The government still needs to do their market research to confirm that. It, it, just because you got one response doesn't mean there's only one company that can do it. But that's a great data point for we did our market research. We couldn't find anybody. We asked the world. Only one company responded. Therefore, we have determined there is only one responsible source that can satisfy this requirement. And, and keep in mind – not going down this rabbit hole, but I want to put it out there. Part of the reason that something may be set aside sole source, only one source, is yes, it's the requirement, but it, it could also be the how it's being bought, the conditions under which the acquisition plan is played out. But that's a rabbit hole for another day, but it is part of what goes into what makes that a sole source award. All right, I'm going to distract you by stopping here and talking about the acquisition and execution time zones so that you don't follow that rabbit hole any farther. When we're talking RFIs, in the acquisition time zones, we're in the market research zone. And in the execution time zones, this comes up in the recompete zone. Remember the time zones, you can kind of think about it like a clock starting at 12 o'clock and moving around clockwise. The acquisition time zones, the requirement zone comes first, then the market research zone, then the RFP zone, then the source selection zone. And you've covered from 12 down to 6 o'clock. And then coming up the other side... We can look at the execution time zones, the honeymoon zone, the performance zone, the recompete zone, and the wrap-up zone. And those zones aren't strictly stuck to their areas on the clock. They kind of overlap, and we talk about that in the acquisition time zone and execution time zone episodes. 
which are episode three and 84, respectively. Yeah, those are the overview episodes, and we have specific episodes on each zone, too, which I can't rattle off all the numbers for right now. But know that when the government is in the recompete zone on the execution time zone side, that corresponds to the requirement zone in the market research zone for the next acquisition, if this is a follow-on. And, and that's why this is a big graphic on the training that we do, so people can see it and really right. understand how these zones work together. Okay, let's keep going. Let's get back to why it's important to understand what happens to your RFI response. RFIs are all about communication. It's the point of the contract. The, the, the purpose of a contract is to connect somebody who needs something with somebody who can do it. Well, this is one of the ways that you find out who's the somebody that can do it, or can it even be done in the way that we're planning to do it. If the industry side understands what happens to their responses when it goes into that black box of, of government acquisition, they're, they're able to provide better input, and, and they trust the system more. You will get better responses if you explain up front what happens next after you get the RFI response. Because offers need to target. The offers need to know if this is something worth targeting. And the RFI is an ideal, ideal way to do this. Because one of three things is going to happen. It's either going to help them say, yes, this is something I can do. They're going to double down and focus on meeting that requirement, and they're going to you know, rally their resources around it. Two is they're going to show the government team, well, the way you've described buying this, that's not how we do it. That's not going to work for us. Uh, this is how it really works. And that sounds kind of you know judgy, but it's a reality. Industry is going to say, this isn't how it works. We had, we had one, we helped a client win a very large, like nine digit contract. And by shaping through the RFI response, this is not how you can make this a successful contract. Here's how we would do it. Now, keep in mind, there were four or five other competitors that saw it the same way. And the government CEO or the, the acquisition team looked at it and went, oh, yeah, we're doing this wrong. Changed the strategy. It was a good competition. Our client won. So it's a double bonus. The second option is that industry and government talk through, make sure this works effectively. The third option is that that RFI will educate industry on, wow, this is not something we're going to be able to do or win. So peace out. <laughs> this isn't going to make any sense for us to go after. All three of those outcomes are good because they're based on communication. We've talked about that in many episodes. More communication helps industry target, gets the government better responses and fewer responses. Because if industry really understands exactly what the government wants to buy and how they're going to buy it, it allows companies that don't have the best chance of win to say, this one's not for us, and they walk away. And then you get fewer proposals. You can evaluate everything you have more quickly and award to an offer that's in a better position to satisfy your requirements. Let's get specific on why the government cares. It's how the government can target. I mean, using an RFI to define and refine your requirement. This is the targeting from the government side because you're going to find the best competitors by using the RFI process to clearly communicate expectations. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. Yep. It also helps you manage your customers' expectations. And what I mean by that is a contracting officer, my customer is a program manager, the users, a small business specialist, all those folks. If they say, oh, industry can do this, right? You can manage your expectations by putting out an RFI that says, I don't know, I think you can, or we think you can. Can you? <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of an RFI is it, it manages the customer's expectations of what industry can really do. Some companies won't submit an offer without some evidence that they've had some kind of influence on this process. And that's 
a lot of what we we work with our customers on is is if it's not obvious in some way that you're being heard, assume you're not <laughs> being right. heard. And as a CEO, I wanted to make sure they knew what was happening because what I didn't want to have happen was somebody would self-eliminate because I didn't send an RFI response. I wasn't communicating what's going on. And we had one where the company didn't bid and we thought they would have. And I saw him at some conference like six months later and I happened to be standing next to the program manager and the program manager said, hey, how come you guys didn't bid on this? And in a nutshell, they were like, because it, it appeared that you weren't listening to how we wanted to do it. So we weren't going to win it. Oh, bang. You know, that's just hit me upside the head. I'm like, I never thought of that, right? So one of the best possible companies that, that could have satisfied your requirement didn't bother to bid because of a lack of communication. They didn't understand that they had a real chance to win. Yeah, and, and we got a great company. I mean, they were—they. I'm not saying they would have won because of it. We, right. we ended up getting it was a good source selection. It was a—it was one of those services that there's a good number of of companies that do it. But it surprised me that one of the ones that we knew had done it in the past that other eight other parts of our agency didn't bid. Again, it was one of those moments where you're like, "Wow, I didn't know what I didn't know." From the industry side, the RFI is a key filtering tool. It it helps you decide when to bid and when not to bid. Is one of the key factors that we go through with our customers on helping them decide which targets to invest their time in. In fact, it's one of the parts of the RFP score. It talks about the RFI response process and you know, are you influencing what's going on? And the RFP score is a tool that our customers use to qualify opportunities. It's an algorithm that gives them a score so that tells them what to, what to focus their energies on and what to ignore. The RFI is also a key shaping tool for industry. The information you provide in your RFI response should filter into the final request for a proposal. If that RFP comes out and you don't see, like you said, evidence that you've had an influence, number one, you're probably not in as good a position as you, as you thought you were for this acquisition. And number two, somebody else is probably in a better position. If nothing changed at all in the RFP after the RFIs, then you kind of have a clue the government it wants to stick with the incumbent or stick with what they know. If it changes in a way that you didn't expect, that's probably someone else's shaping taking effect, right? As a government CEO, I didn't realize this level of critical thinking was resulting <laughs> from the RFI that I put out. The tone of this RFI is being read by industry. And understand that when you put that out to them, they're, they're making major decisions based on the tone. Remember, RFI responses cost money. Industry can't respond to all RFIs. They need to target which ones are most likely to win them business and then shape through the RFI. Some government offices treat RFIs like it's an RFP and they, and they shut down communications. Send me an RFI response and I'm not going to answer any questions and I'm not going to tell you what I learned or tell you where I'm headed with this. You know, that's that's the throw it over the wall and it disappears kind of kind of thing. <laughs> Communications are allowed. From the industry side, one of the best ways to get access to the government buying office, the acquisition office, is to ask them if you can discuss your RFI response, a phone call, a meeting. And the, the CO brain kicks in and says, well, I can't do that because I'm going to have 80 responses. I can't reply to all of them. Hang on. If you target that communication to industry saying, I need to know these three things, you're probably only going to get like five or 10. And even if you got 80, but 70 of those 80 were so far off the mark, that's like, okay, that's just marketing, blah, blah. You don't have to call them all back. 
Right. You, you need to be fair. There's a context to this, but this is an RFI. This is market research. You don't have to talk to every single company who sends you an email for market research. Once you go into the RFP, you do, which again, that's a lesson I learned later is if you do market research tweaking during the RFP stage, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so do it now when you can have open communication. We've talked about this before. On one acquisition, when I was a contracting officer, we used the RFI to essentially limit the competition. We told everybody that responded that we think these four companies have the best chance to win. Anyone else can still bid, but we think these four companies have the best chance to win. And then we went out and visited each of those companies and had in-depth conversations about their responses and how they would deliver based on the requirements and the way that we had written the acquisition plan. As a response, we ended up with three great bids and one no bid and no complaints from the other companies because they knew that this one wasn't for them or they teamed with the four companies, one of the four companies that we named. And, and, and to scale that, it doesn't have to be get on a plane and go somewhere. It can be a phone call. Right. That was an extreme example. And it's why it's a great story because it, it shows this is what could happen. But you break it down to smaller pieces for a $10 million contract, you can still do this as long as you keep it to phone calls. Right. There was a lot of dollars behind that one. So it kind of allowed us to take the time to travel and learn. And the principles still apply. That's, that's the point. All right, Kevin, let's wrap this up. On the government side, this is a communication tool. Use it to make your contracts better. I mean, I wish I'd done more RFIs. Uh, I, I tended to have a habit of doing one big one and looking back, there's no like limit on the number of things you can post, right? So if you had a, you could have 10 smaller RFIs, make them really specific and get one answer at a time just to make progress. None of the things in an RFI are binding and none of the responses to the RFI are binding. This right. isn't a contract. This is just, we're just talking here, right? Yep. And on the industry side, use them to filter and shape. I mean, lack of an RFI, it's an indicator that either, either a lack of acquisition planning, that they didn't have time to do it, or the government's already got the information they need. They don't want any more input, and they've kind of already got the requirement locked down. Keep in mind, as a CO, when there's no RFI, it's just like, boom, here's the final RFP. That sends a message that either you've got a plan and you got somebody in mind, whether that's true or not, that's what industry's thinking, or it means that they don't really want our input. Right. Both of those are bad. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably not going to bid if an RFP just falls out of the sky with no communication at all. I'll wrap up by reminding everyone that a request for information, the process, does not mean that there will actually be an acquisition in, in the end. The government might ask for information, get information, and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else, or I'm going to do nothing at all. So it's not a guarantee that there's work ahead. And that's a topic for another podcast. Which means this is a good place to say, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you need help shaping an acquisition through an RFI response, visit AskSkyway.com because Skyway helps companies win. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. It's fewer if I you know. can count it. Yeah, it's I know. It's less. Nebulous. I know. I'm from Ohio. Give me a break. <laughs>